0: Welcome to the Circal HR Futures podcast uh, with me today is Lara Plaxton from Satalia uh, and we'll talk to uh, Lara in, a, in detail in a moment. I uh, just want to remind you that this podcast series is brought to you in association with Kaplan Performance Academy, helping you meet your organisational needs. Um, Lara, good to meet you again.
1: <laughs> you too, uh,
0: Kevin. Good to be here. Yeah, so, um, you know, I think you've sort of, I think you've listened to a couple of these podcasts, so you've most probably got a bit of an idea. It's a bit like, I always call it sort of desert island discs for HR people in that it's as a bit about your job. It's a bit about your uh, career. It's also a bit about some of the things that you've learned during your time. So, you know, I think we will uh, dip into some, Uh, stuff about your career and how you got different jobs and why you worked in different places plus we'll also talk about what you've learned what you would do differently and then in the second half we'll talk a bit more about um, our great profession and what the future holds (laughs) and what you would be saying to someone who was asking for your advice so why don't you tell us a little bit about Satalia um, you know in terms of the size of the organization because I think it's much smaller than most of the organizations where we talk to HR uh, uh, leaders. But I think it's you know incredibly well positioned and doing some really interesting stuff. So I think
1: our listeners are keen to hear a bit about that and then tell us a bit
0: about what you're doing for them.
1: Yeah, sounds great. So, yes, Italia um, is essentially a AI company. Um, started up quite some time ago, but I guess is still in there sort of startup scale up phase and is often kind of seen in that sort of startup scene as it were. Um, but what we do is we we solve hard problems is, is what it, we say on our website. <laughs> um, and that's kind of through the use of things like data science, machine learning and optimization. So we work with our clients to kind of understand what their problems are and, and what they're trying to achieve and then use kind of really... Complex ways of being able to um, take data that they might have and create insight out of that. Um, and where the optimization part comes into it is where you're able actually, you're able to actually kind of find the patterns in the data, um, but to actually kind of have it so that it's making the decisions for you too. And, and through it kind of being optimized means the more data it's getting and the more it's learning from it the more the the better the decisions are that are coming out of it um and so that's kind of an area that organizations are are really looking into for for kind of different kind of purposes
0: so some of our would be really helpful or is perhaps if you could talk about something you've done i know you talked um, publicly about the work you do with tesco's because i think that brings it to life doesn't it the type of problem that you've and what you did and how you helped them solve it i i don't know if that's the best example but it's certainly a, a good one
1: yeah definitely i guess we've got kind of sort of outside of the projects and stuff that we do and we've got kind of two core main uh sort of products that we've developed um in line with kind of client needs and one of them is um where we have tesco's for as one of our clients um is around delivery optimization So it's kind of looking at all the kind of mathematical data around having to do, you know, thousands, millions of of deliveries um, to customers. So that's looking at all of the kind of customer addresses that you have, the weight of what you're delivering, the amount of delivery vans you have, um, and optimizing all the routes. That you that a delivery man can possibly go on every man or woman can possibly go on um, and, and kind of optimizing that so that you um reduce the time spent on um uh, on the deliveries that you're doing obviously that has a beneficial environmental impact as well you know reducing the carbon footprint of mm-hmm. of what's happening um you know with all the deliveries that are needed and i think even more so last year during the pandemic the the need for that um optimization was huge um given the reliance that everyone had on on supermarket deliveries suddenly um during a pandemic and you know we're pleased to say that the the optimization kind of held up to the challenge as it were <laughs> um, and help those clients and, and we often look at that and kind of repurpose some of that, that delivery optimization for, for, for kind of similar problems um, but maybe slightly different contexts and things um, but it's around kind of taking big mathematical problems and, and optimising them so, so one of them is in that delivery context um, and I guess kind of in supply chains in general. Um, The other aspect is a bit more familiar to to kind of HR people, um, which is around workforce and workforce optimization. (laughs) Um, And I think this is really kind of in the context of organizations like PwC, and it's in the context of um, where you might have um, a huge amount of workers who need to be um, allocated to work assignments and how you optimize that. And that could be around again kind of where um, employees are located, where the assignments are located, um, the types of assignments, trying to look at the skills that people have linked to kind of what's required for the assignments, looking at repeat assignments whereas people have been to the, those particular placements previously uh, and trying to kind of optimize it you know kind of historically back in the day you'd, you'd have humans trying to kind of schedule people to all those kind of complex um, areas which took a huge amount of kind of capability and knowledge, um, then kind of sort of legacy systems were brought into place to kind of help with some of that, Um, but I think now this is sort of the new level of it which is is being able to take that and uh, and optimize um, those allocations and the way our optimization works is that it looks at the constraints that an organization needs. Um, And so in a workforce capacity, we might be looking at 50 different constraints, for example, and and optimizing on those, which takes a huge amount of intelligence to be able to do. Um, And, you know, I think a lot of uh, optimization often only looks at kind of three or four constraints when it's looking at things. So, um, you know, the the things that we're creating are um, uh, hugely valuable in, in those kind of, Really hard problems to solve just because of the complexity, the amount of constraints, and the kind of mathematical data that you that you need to have. Um, I guess within that, for some of them, especially around workforce, sometimes you want an element of kind of human decision making in there too, and so it kind of has that flexibility as well because uh, <laughs> um, sometimes uh, mathematical problems, when you apply it to people, there are kind of human consequences that it's good to be aware of too. I'm sure.
0: Um, <laughs> so tell, I mean, I suppose. Uh, before we get onto your role, tell us about how big the organisation is, because it's not huge, but yeah. the sort of people that you've got, because obviously you've got a lot of very bright, capable people, you know, I mm. suppose ner- nerdy type people, you know, data scientists, people that like spending their time attached to, to machines day
1: in, day out.
0: Just tell us a little bit about, bring that to life for us.
1: Yeah, and I think it's... Um, Perhaps something that's coming out in everyone a little bit is that nerdy side as technology takes over every part and aspect of our lives. Um, you know, just the amount of time we spend on our mobile phones and doing certain activities and, and yeah, learning more about that kind of space. So, yeah, we have about currently we've got about 85 people um, at Satalia and it's about kind of half and half split between um half the workforce being out in lithuania um, and then the other half being predominantly in the uk but we've also got some employees in um austria and greece as well um we were originally uh, back in 2019 we were probably at about kind of 40 45 people and then we acquired the company out in lithuania that used to that we used to collaborate with on all our projects anyway to help support us with our software develop, development development so in terms of kind of the types of talent that we have in the organization, obviously the kind of full remit of software development uh, talent. So from you know people actually doing the coding to kind of testers and project managers as well, helping out with things. Um, we've then got our, our, our data scientists who are doing all the kind of data modelling and, and using a whole variety of techniques to get the best insight that they can um, from data. And then um, our optimizers, who, as I say, tend to to be kind of people with uh, sort of um, PhDs in statistics and and maths and stuff. So um, they're they're kind of understanding, you know, what algorithms we need to be using and how we can adapt those and um, use them for this kind of optimization piece of work. And then outside of that, it's the usual kind of support functions that you would have around an organization, say your sales, marketing, finance, HR. Um, as with anything in Satalia, though it's slightly redesigned and given different names to to kind of yeah, make it a bit more interesting. <laughs> so, so, so,
0: I, I, obviously I've met Daniel a couple of times and he's a he's a he's a great guy. And he has a sort of philosophy about the organization. So I'm going to talk about your career and where you started in HR and yeah. and, and why Satalia and I I think I might know some of the ideas about why it's Attacking, but you might want to just talk about his philosophy about how he's trying to run the organisation, how he's trying to create an organisation which is, I don't know, I was going to say sort of more democratic, certainly open. I don't know. I mean, you, you're most probably better placed to, to talk about it than I, but it's different is the point
1: yeah it's definitely different and um it's such an important part of what what daniel believes in and what he's trying to create as an organization um and so whilst his background is obviously artificial intelligence and computer science um he has a real interest in organizational design um, And all those kind of concepts about how do we make um, our our workplace and our society more of a regenerative environment where it is based on kind of fairness and equality um, and trying to drive those kind of behaviors and I think in an organizational context what's really important for him is creating essentially a decentralized environment so a bit like you hear of kind of other examples of organizations where they're self-managed and that it's fully kind of decentralized so that teams are making the decisions that they need to um, for what they're working on Um, and it's not kind of linked to any sort of hierarchy where you're having to kind of get sign off and approval on certain things. Um, I think you know within that kind of decentralization also comes kind of distributed power Um, so it's about kind of looking at where organizations the power is kind of held at the leadership level or um you know kind of with the shareholders sort of having a strong influence on how an organization operates which can often then lead to some of the challenges further down that chain in terms of how you meet their expectations but create an environment that people actually want to work in um and so uh, so, yeah, with that, you know, kind of being able to create that sort of distributed power so it's not held within a small group of individuals um, uh, is it's kind of the challenge that he's looking to, to focus for and, and create a kind of platform within Satalia. Um, where all these things are possible and and obviously Daniel has much grander visions beyond that which is you know being able to kind of scale it up for a planet essentially and and kind of have a a positive impact on society.
0: Yeah so let's let's come we'll come back to that in a moment so let's go to the beginning of your career how did you you know how did you end up in HR was it a, a choice was it you know, was you at university? I thought, oh, well, actually, this this sounds like something I'm interested in, or did you just sort of accidentally fall into it, like many people do, and and then go, oh, there's something in this. I quite like this. I, I, I can be good at this. What you know, what was your journey into uh, HR?
1: Yeah, I think it's, and I think it has changed a bit. So when I was at university, I, if you just said HR to me, I wouldn't have even know what it was. <laughs> it wasn't necessarily. A kind of defined career path that had kind of crossed my uh, awareness um but i do think that's kind of changed you know i see lots of people coming through that have chosen to do a kind of hr management degree and and that's kind of their choice going into university um, so yeah actually my um degree was in african studies um at the school of oriental and african studies and i guess my passion when i was younger was was traveling um, and going to uh, places overseas and kind of immersing in other cultures and and learning from them and the experience I gained from that you know was just fascinating kind of um, you know not looking at it through um, someone with my background through my eyes and my biases and perspectives on things but actually just really kind of living with people and Seeing how how you know how they think about things and how they see themselves and stuff and it was really eye opening for me and and, and that's why SOAS was great as a university because they really focus on that you're really looking at the um, the perspectives from those people as opposed to kind of looking at things with a Western perspective and making assumptions um, and so I kind of really enjoyed that and. At university as well I was really kind of passionate about um anthropology so took some modules on that so um just really under, uh, really interested in kind of being immersed in cultures and understanding cultures but from their perspective even though you kind of have an outside in perspective too so kind of like the whole concept of ethnography and uh, and kind of you know studying people I suppose and, and the cultures um and so yeah you know kind of spent a few years um doing bits and pieces, um, working for charities and um, things like that, carried on kind of doing more traveling um, and sort of did lots of different experiences. Um, And I guess the one that was probably kind of closest to HR, but it still wasn't HR. So although I knew what HR was at that point, it sort of gave me again, another experience that sort of led to kind of being in HR, which was working for a a care agency for, um, for, for elderly people. And it was out in a rural area. Um, and I, funny enough, I was scheduling the care work to assignments, oh. <laughs> a bit like Satalia does mm-hmm. these days, mm-hmm. but uh, on a smaller basis. But what was interesting was um, the organisation... Uh, they'd kind of won the, won the tender. Um, but in doing that, it was a, a very kind of low cost. And what would happen was a lot of the workers were disgruntled. They weren't able to kind of take the holidays when they wanted to. They were having to work seven days a week often to kind of cover all the assignments. Um, it's a tough job anyway, because often you're not getting paid. Um, certainly in those days, like petrol money and, and kind of the time between assignments that it takes you to travel around and you're on a, a low salary anyway. Um, and so I got into the role and was looking to kind of start scheduling everyone in for the first week. And, and everyone just turned around to me and because they would obviously had such a hard time for a long time, they just said, well, we're not going to work this weekend. And I was like, well, what do you mean? I've got all these people that need looking after. <laughs> and I'm like, how does it normally work? And they said, well, we've just all had to kind of fill in, fill in, you know, regardless and stuff. And but we don't want to do it anymore. You know, we need time off. We need to be looked after and stuff so that was my kind of first week into it and because I'd worked as a care worker before um I, I kind of thought well you know I'm not going to kind of try and use tricks and stuff that have been used before to get them to help out so I just went out and did it myself um and and covered off the assignments that were needed for the weekend and kind of over the several sort of weeks it was an opportunity without sort of realizing it to just properly build trust with those employees. And so rather than it being a kind of office to sort of a a field service, as it were, and there being a real disconnect, you know, we sort of became one team that would just then start to look to kind of help each other out. And the other part of it was I really got to understand service users as well. And really understand their needs, and um, you know, kind of what they required from our service that we were delivering. And you know, it was in a kind of um, needs must situation, but it was such a huge learning lesson for me in terms of how you interact and build relationships with people and understand people's problems. Um, and if you try and force things on people or impose things on people that have a negative impact to them, it has huge consequences and huge consequences for businesses and organisations. And so I kind of, um, yeah, I did that for a while and, and eventually kind of stepped out, because it was quite wearing, <laughs> um, but, uh, but a hugely uh, great experience. And then I had my daughter at 28 and realised I, I should probably actually kind of build a career as opposed to just picking up these jobs that seemed right at that time and picking up different experiences. And so... So I guess you could say I kind of fell into it, but it was through looking at all my different things that I'd enjoyed in my life experiences through education and work. Um, and kind of thought about either doing HR or being a social worker and um, thought about two of them. But I quite like the business context of, of things. So, um, so, yeah, started things off in HR. <laughs> and did you go and study or did
0: you just get a job and take it from there? What would you, what did you, what did you do or a bit of both?
1: Yeah, a bit of both. So I um I, I started off and it was a, a kind of recruitment role, but in house, um, and it was for kind of um, international students coming over for summer schools. So there was a sort of intense recruitment phase, and then supporting them through the summer schools. But at the same time, I started my um, CIPD level three. Um, so I think it was personal and practice at that point. And um, so I started doing the uh, the learning at the same time um which was really helpful to kind of to to do that obviously trying to bring up a small child as well at the same time it was a bit of a a juggling act (laughs) but um but it was a good kind of you know in a way starting at the bottom and kind of studying and working at the same time in terms of my hr career i have found it really beneficial in the know the the more senior i've been able to get in my positions i really understand the basic levels of the administrative processes that that go on the challenges that you have kind of doing that type of role um and i think sometimes that's really helpful when i sometimes see people that have jumped into hr at a more senior level having come from another area and they don't have any of that background of kind of sort of going up through the ranks as it were and sort of learning as you go so so yeah, it was it was hugely beneficial. Um, and then I guess my next kind of big role after that was uh, working for a building management company that were going through a big transition. Yeah,
0: so let, let me ask you my next question. I'm going to come back. Yeah,
1: to sure. So if you think about it,
0: you've worked uh, in, in a range of different sort of organisations within HR in terms of size. There's most probably a few things, but you had building services, Hayden. You had utility, yeah. utilities, EDF. Then you had FDM, which I don't know quite how you described that, but mm. graduate organisation, placement organisation. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, and then onto to Satalia. So why don't you just sort of take us through the difference of, uh, of HR in each organisation? So See, I'm always interested in, you know, HR as a set of tools, a set of processes, a set of ways of thinking, whatever you, however you want to describe it. Hmm. but it's always deployed differently it's always context specific isn't it you know so yeah, again I'm always right. trying to say to people I don't think HR is a set of standard processes that you deploy in every organization in the same way I think it is always about you know creating something that works in the right environment to get the right output for the individuals the teams and the organization so just tell us a bit about the differences and in your experience of those organizations that you've worked
1: in yeah so you know fully agree with that in terms of it being context specific and I think that's sometimes where you get the challenges is when you try and kind of squash the wrong shape into the organization and it and it just doesn't work I think fundamentally when you're looking at it you're dealing with employees in the organisation, and, and employees' needs aren't necessarily different in the different organisations. In in the fact that they want to be respected, they want to be listened to, they want to feel motivated when they come to work, and they want to feel valued by the organisation. And I think that that could you know that's the same across all organisations, but how you um, enable that to happen can look very different because it's entirely dependent on the business environment, the constraints, the risks, um, you know, the priorities of challenges that they're dealing with, the stage they're at in the organization. And I think that's why, whilst you can have this sort of HR toolkit, as it were, of kind of things that, you know, should work or could work. (laughs) um, If you're not finding out about your business, you're not understanding kind of your key stakeholders and some of those environments I've worked in, were unionized and I know you've worked obviously in those environments and it's another level of kind of stakeholders that you have in there to kind of manage And you, know, you know you need to understand all of those dynamics to to work out how you kind of get a balance um, and I suppose you know balance is always a word that I use a lot I'll probably say it a lot of times in this conversation but you know there's there's no right or, well, there are sometimes wrong ways to do things, but but there's no perfect way to do things. Um, and so it is about kind of trying to weigh up the impact to all the different stakeholders you have in the organisation. And, and from an HR perspective, I always like to be really focused on, obviously, employees, but also customers, too, and what the impact is to to customers, because if you're not getting the revenue coming in and you're not making the profits you need, then you end up doing redundancies. So, you know, it is, they're all very integrated, the stakeholders, in terms of the impact, if you get that balance slightly wrong. Um, And certainly, you know, it's nice to see employees and customers becoming more central, as opposed to probably, you know, certainly, well, not that long ago, (laughs) but You know, a couple of decades ago, it was always kind of shareholders and and leadership and what are their needs kind of being focused on most and I think there does seem to be a big transition now in understanding how important employees and customers are and I do wonder whether that in part has come about through the internet and the level of transparency there is now on organizations that there never was in the past. So you've got Glassdoor and other places for employees to write up reviews around the organization, you know, for customer, you've got all of a whole range of things where they can leave their feedback and reviews and understanding things so the level of kind of service that you offer as an organization to employees and customers is is paramount and you can't do that if you don't understand the parameters that you're working within and 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 what the needs are And, and then sometimes it's Finding the right ways of communicating that. So sometimes, you know, it might be that you have to go to employees and say, We're well, having to make this decision, and we understand it might have a negative impact on you, but this is why it's happening. And um, having that really transparent conversation with people, I always kind of think if you're honest and you explain things to people, um, then you know, they're much easier to kind of, uh, it's much easier for them to kind of understand why that decision kind of happened and for them to at least understand it, um, even if it is maybe having a negative impact to them. But I think sometimes when you get all this spiel of just kind of management talk or, you know, kind of, I don't know, kind of spinning something in a way uh, to to your employees and customers, they just see through it and, uh, and then start to break down trust. Um, And so, so, yeah, so I think uh, to wrap up that question, what's different for HR is just really understanding your your critical stakeholders, um, the business kind of constraints, risks and priorities and and, and trying to find the best balance within that.
0: But I I think one of the things I'm interested in is Satalia's, you know, uh, aspirationally, certainly at the sort of far end of that agenda, you know. And is that is that what attracted you to the organization, having worked in some bigger organizations, most probably more unionized, you know, just did more difficult because of hierarchy and bureaucracy to to get things to happen. And, you know, trust is different in large organizations. I mean, it is clearly much easier to to communicate and engage and motivate and inspire a group of 80 people than it is, you know, 800 or 8000 or 80,000. So. <laughs> Because um, because human beings are complex, and when you put them in groups, and you know, it just becomes that much more difficult to deal with. So, you know, is Satalia the right place for you? And, and and what are you doing there? I mean, because you know, <laughs> an HR person in an organisation of eighty people, bright professionals, in a culture which is you know trying to be um, self-managing and diverse and breaking down. you know, that that's an interesting place to be, isn't it?
1: Yeah, it's, it's fascinating. And I think that's kind of what attracted me. I, um, you know, I was a previously before that at FDM where I was for 11 years and I joined there in the kind of early stages, the earlier stages of the organization. It was still relatively big when I joined, but, you know, I had a huge amount of growth over that time. Um, but I think when you get to a certain level as an organization, um, you're more of a big, Corporation, There's probably more constraints on an organization at that level. Um, and I think there is, there is something about smaller organizations in, in, in the, the energy that kind of gets created in those environments because they don't have as many constraints that you get in a bigger organization and so, um, you know, FDM was great because the CEO was the person that started the organization. So there was still quite an entrepreneurial feel um, for a large company. But but I think I kind of I did definitely sort of miss that um, opportunity to kind of, you know, in a, a smaller company, get the opportunity to kind of experiment a bit more and to kind of try things out, test them out, you know, not be afraid to kind of fail, but to learn from that um, and to test out new ways of, of, of doing things. You know, it, I, I was interested to know in an organization where they're trying to move to that kind of, envi- of environment, you know, what does that look like? How do you enable that kind of um, environment? Because the other aspect that you have is that you're still a commercial business. So you still need to operate as a commercial commercial organization. And so sometimes kind of driving all those messages around kind of having a idealistic view on, on what something could be can sometimes conflict with, needing to run a commercial business um and and so I think you know what attracted me is that I like to be challenged and I like new opportunities and and to try and find new ways of thinking and working Um, and so it was interesting to me that a CEO was was trying to drive this and and to go get again immersed in, in the culture of it and to kind of understand what that actually looks like and where are the challenges for them as an organization and how does that work in practice. Um, and I think, you know, as as with anywhere, um, but I think especially when you have a, a strong vision that's very forward thinking, um, there is, you know, potentially a, a kind of expectation gap on on what the reality is like for people. Cause I think as you've just said, you know, you you throw a bunch of humans together you know, the human behavior is not going to go out the window (laughs) and none of us are perfect. So if you have a really idealistic vision, um, you know, I remember saying in the interview process, you're trying to create a utopia or something (laughs) in terms of what that looks like. And I think you have to be, again, quite honest about the reality. And it's a journey and it's aspirational, um, but it's something we want to look at what could work and what maybe might not work and stuff but just set the right expectations for people so that they uh understand what you're trying to do yeah
0: I, I yeah i imagine that must be hugely challenging you know if you you know if you wear your heart in the sleeve and you talk about you know the philosophy of how you're trying to run the organization you know it must create an expectation and every time you quite don't deliver against that you know people point out and go well that, you know that doesn't feel very dispersed that feels a bit top down to me and again yeah. you know i'm sure that must be a challenge All i want to talk about is that the way that you do your work at satalia and when we have talked before you talked about sort of human centric approach and and i can remember saying to you when we talked before what do you mean by that and you sort of talked about well you know the whole idea of a user experience and And engaging people in the process and making it more iterative, and you know, and I think this is really quite important for HR um, thinking about how it does its work. Uh, You know, and I, I mean in the corporate sector as well, because I do think we still have a view which is we sort of know best, and we're going to come up with the right performance management system, the competency framework, and we'll sit in a room and. And Then we'll tell the businesses this is what we yeah. need to do, and, and then we'll manage them in doing it and train them. And if they don't do it, they've been you know they're quite naughty and we'll you know all of that stuff, you know what I'm talking about. Yeah. So perhaps you just want to elaborate and bring it to life for, for, for people because I don't think it's a concept that's talked about very much in HR. I mean, agile is just about sort of yeah. got some traction, but you know, when I talk to people about HR, you know, agile in HR, it it dissipates quite quickly. I'm not sure how you know um, how wedded to it as a methodology of working we are. But just tell us about your views and how you do the work that you do at Satalia.
1: Yeah, so it's actually something um, before Satalia. So for probably for about five years, I guess I've been upskilling myself. Um, Although I'd still see myself as fairly novice, <laughs> just around concepts of sort of user-centered design and, and human-centered design and things, and and what what that actually kind of means and and how that can apply to um, you know the HR world, I suppose. Um, so at its core, it's about kind of um, putting human needs at the center of your design. So before you start designing anything, um, it's kind of using techniques like design thinking, which you know, I'm sure people have had a kind of experience of, um, but using things like design thinking to kind of actually identify what is the problem that you're trying to solve, um, and that's not what HR thinks is the problem or what some manager over in that department has told you is the problem, but actually kind of getting to the people that are fundamentally core to who you're designing for, um to understand what problems they are experiencing. So understanding it from their perspective. Um, And that that can be really um, insightful in itself because often the problems you get told to fix aren't the problems that are actually occurring. Um, So a lot of it, Yeah, a lot of it is about going out and doing research and asking questions and doing surveys and possibly focus groups and stuff and really trying to identify what the problems are. Um, And then refining it down to kind of really focus on maybe what the most critical problem is and, um, you know, rather than having a whole range of problems to work on at one time, but really refine each problem. Um, Then after that, you know, it is kind of, uh, getting ideas from all over the place. So I think, again, if it is just HR defining the problem and it's not sort of, it doesn't resonate with people because you've not gone back to people to say, you know, does this speak to you when I when I say, this is the core problems we're, we're kind of looking at. Um, if you get them involved in coming up with kind of ideas, however kind of blue sky they might be, down to kind of just small little tweaks that might kind of help. Um, then you get people really engaged in the process um, and you get, you know, ideas that you might not have thought of yourself. Um, I think in HR we can tend to go to again the, the toolkit that we've been given. Um, or, you know, kind of look at what another organization might might be doing rather than kind of co-creating it with the people that are actually experiencing the problem. Um, and then it is about kind of just creating Sort of uh, a simple version of it to, to see if it kind of meets that problem, what you've created um, and, and testing it out with people and getting feedback. Um, and, and as you said, kind of that iterative design process, so it's not necessarily about um, spending 12 months designing some training program to then deliver only to realize that either you focused on the wrong problem or the problem's being solved by some other way <laughs> um, and so it's about kind of quick and fast sort of design and and get that feedback and, and just keep iterating on it to improve it and it should adapt over time and continually kind of adapt so that you are always going back and focusing on on the problems um you know to give an example i remember looking at a uh, situation around well-being and well-being initiatives um that that we could do and um you know kind of ask the question to employees around what kind of initiatives they might want and it was all the usual stuff like kind of fresh fruit and um you know gym membership and all that kind of stuff and when we actually looked at the problem and i think a core part for me, if user experience is that emotional connection between an employee and the organization, like that is what employee experience is for me, is understanding that emotional connection. So when we looked at the problem to ask how do you feel when your well-being's impacted, we had things like, you know, I feel isolated, I don't feel valued, um, all of these things that were coming out. And so um, we looked at it and that's kind of why it was a good example to be able to show why you don't go and ask people what they want um, to solve some of these problems, because, you know, feeling isolated or not feeling valued is not going to get fixed by a gym membership or fresh fruit. <laughs> fruit
0: might help, you? <laughs> yeah,
1: awesome. um, and I think the other part of it is, you know, if you want to approach employee experience properly and and use um ux kind of approaches in order to do that it is about mapping out journeys understanding the full interactions that people have in the workplace so rather than looking at the employee life cycle um, which is kind of recruitment selection onboarding you know training performance management you know to you know through to offboarding. Um, you know, if you look at it through all the interactions, which are so much more interesting than that life cycle, in terms of, you know, your social events that you might have out of it, the, the coffee that you go grab in the kitchen and, and you always meet a colleague that you don't work with normally and, and have a quick chat and stuff. Um, you know, all those small interactions. And actually for me, they're the things I really miss in lockdown are those spontaneous interactions that, you know you have to schedule in a virtual meeting with people for that to happen and so you sort of lose a bit of that creative innovation stuff that happens in an office environment but you know looking at all those interactions and mapping them out and understanding how people feel in those different occasions and then being able to maximize the ones that make people feel positive and you know the ones like performance appraisals that probably have a really negative impact on you know pretty much 99% of the population you know bending them off and trying to come up with new ways of giving people feedback and letting them be responsible for their own development and career opportunities that, that could come from a whole range of things around organization and might not necessarily be defined by a, a career path and and with that kind of um emotional connection part I think what really resonates is you know that starts from when you first learn about a brand so I've started talking about Satalia here so for anyone that's not known about Satalia before what I'm talking about in this podcast they'll already start having some kind of emotional connection with this organization I'm talking about um, and that runs right through to kind of offboarding, you know I think most people will still have an emotional connection with the organizations that they work with through their lifetime and that could be really positive if they left in a great way and maybe still in contact with a few colleagues and things um, or they could have left in a really negative way and you know had a really difficult manager and stuff and that stays with you and um that's something that i think hr should be focused on because how people are emotionally connected to an organization and feel impacts their behavior like engagement and performance and the stuff that we tend to look at in hr but getting under the hood and understanding what drives those behaviors i think is really really important
0: so when you're talking about employee experience you know if you read about it and you talk to people and most people are doing some work on this, you know, the life cycle bit I think has been accepted. People understand that people want different things at different moments as they, they join an organization to high performing, to potentially leaving or whatever. I think there's a bit about recognizing it's more than the HR bits. Yeah. It involves the environment. It involves, um, how you behaved, how you communicated to all of that stuff. But I don't, I'm not convinced yet, certainly, that HR people see it as an emotional commitment, um, which is how you've described it, which I think is quite refreshing and and a little different, but it's sort of quite difficult to get your hands around it, isn't it? Because when you talk about employee experience, you go, well, make sure they got the right kit, the environment's (laughs) quite nice, you know, there's fresh fruit, The manager's okay, you know, they sort of basically treat to people. We communicate, we engage, we do the odd social function. So you could tick lots of boxes around that. But actually, if you then, you know, surveyed people, none of that would make people feel more engaged than working in a different organisation or more isolated or more valued. I mean, I suppose some of it would demonstrate value that, you know, good environment good kit decent manner i don't know i mean i I suppose i'm just trying to there's a there's a shift in terms of what you said i think than what most people um are talking about and thinking about when they talk about employee experience which i think is quite interesting actually i think it it moves it on because it makes it even more intangible to some extent because it's what people you know it's their perception isn't it regardless of what you do it's regardless of your input it's how they receive it which yeah then you know and, and and then takes you back to what well, we need to engage and ask and listen and engage human beings in a, a conversation about the work the organization and how they're treated
1: yeah no definitely and I think it's why it's you know, probably some of it is back from my uh, kind of traveling and anthropology days of sort of just having a real interest in that area or any way of trying to kind of understand how someone else perceives something, not Laura, the HR professional, how she perceives it. Um, and, and I think that kind of emotional part is the bit that gets missed when I see stuff on employee experience. And so... It, you know it does seem to be something that is kind of another trend that people kind of quickly jump on and they kind of think okay right we I stick post-its up and I map out a journey and stuff and um, okay I'll make sure that you know they're having a good experience but it's not the literal word that is employee experience it is comes from a, a whole um, you know kind of theoretical uh, background around design which has been around for centuries as to how you create good design um, and I suppose the reason why I, I guess I was kind of influenced in the way I approach it approached it is that I've been looking at it for like the last kind of five years and a good friend of mine is a professor in um, digital transformation design and her her core area is is UX um, and uh, I'm sure she described it in a different way if she ends up listening to this but um, <laughs> You know, I kind of, I learned from going to UX professionals and going to resources based on user experience and understanding how that could be beneficial in an HR context. And that was before employee experience really being defined widely across the HR community. And then obviously once it did start getting defined and then start writing a few blogs about, well, this isn't employee experience that everyone's talking about, like go back and see where you're getting this terminology from. Because I think even if you look at it in marketing, customer experience was closer to user experience than employee experiences. And we're again, using our kind of HR perceptions to, Form it into something that's recognizable to us rather than going outside of our comfort zone. Yeah. <laughs> it, it, comes, it,
0: it comes back to that, you know, your, um, a mindset, isn't it? It's a mindset about how we're taught to do our work. Yeah. Um, which is, uh, I, I don't know, I, I struggle to uh, just describe it, but it is you know, process-driven, perhaps, mm. that we have to turn it into something which is codified and yeah. simple. So employee experience is a list of 10 things. If you get them right, you'll sort <laughs> of be doing okay. So I'm going to go and deploy those 10. So it becomes program, program, programmatic, is it? You know, we, we sort of yeah. articulate it and then make it happen in an organisation with the hope that it will have some kind of positive impact to, to the people that experience it which is quite odd really isn't it it's like sort of saying in product design we're sort of going to create a product that we think people want and then just flog it to them and then when they go well it doesn't do this it doesn't do that and i don't like this i don't like that go, oh dear oh right you know <laughs> we'll go back and we'll go back and design something else without asking you any questions or really trying to get understand your perception It's it's a group of people that are meant to be dealing with human beings i can't understand why we've got into this space which is we know best let's design it let's deploy it and you know then we question why loads of it doesn't stick it's quite i don't know it's it's So there's a yeah. question in it somewhere laura so uh, I <laughs> i'm going to jump on to my second part of my podcast which is what do we need to do And I'll come back to some of the other bits in a minute. What do we need to do to get people to understand HR? Some of this concept about UX, human centered design, agile, whatever you want to call it, they're all, because I just don't think it is really, it's not landing, I don't think. There's a few people uh, yeah. on the periphery, you know, there's a there's a few of us that will go out and talk to one another. But if you go <laughs> and talk to HR people in all the big, you know, I don't know, every big corporate business in the UK, I'm not sure they're doing it any different than they were five years ago or 10 years ago. Mm. Might be able to at labels, might be calling it slightly different things. It might be slightly modified, but the design process is the same.
1: Yeah. I think you're right I think um, you know I mean HR is a tough job you've got a lot of tough things that you're dealing with a lot of the time and you can quite often be under resources definitely not about kind of HR bashing in terms of you know why aren't they kind of looking at it this way but I think um, there is something in HR kind of moving outside of their comfort zone sometimes and um, actually kind of going to collaborate on other projects that aren't HR projects. Um, You know, I always kind of say I'd rather be working on business problems than HR problems, but coming at the business problems with a kind of human lens and a a people perspective on it. Because I think if you've already defined it as an HR problem, then it's kind of part of the issue in itself. Um, But I think it is just giving people the space and the opportunity to go collaborate with others, go work with your tech teams. Um, And if you've got UX designers in-house, work with them. Um, I think sometimes it is kind of little pockets of, of groups of people that just kind of get it and can go test stuff out. But I think when you start doing it and you start seeing the results from it, you know, that's when it starts to kind of bring about change in the way people think and the way people approach things, because that's certainly been for me where I've, really understood the value of taking those different kinds of approaches um, because of the insight it gives me and then when I do actually deploy some new kind of initiative or process um, you know people they've been part of the journey they, they've understood that I've properly tried to identify their problem and and then when it arrives they're, they're like great this is what we kind of asked for <laughs> um, and so you know it that's where you kind of then see the value on it. So I think it, for HR, it's just making sure that they have enough space to just be a little bit experimental and to go work with, with other teams um, and not just stick to the HR community because that's where that's what's influenced me the most in the past few years.
0: I think we're going to take a quick break. Uh, join us in um, a couple of moments for the second part of the HR Futures podcast brought to you by Sercal, and Kaplan Performance Academy. See you in a moment. As the world comes to terms with the COVID-19 crisis, Circal want to help HR leaders look to the future. Will the crisis shift the world of work for good? What will this look like? And how should HR leaders help prepare their business? These are the questions that Kevin Green and the resident Circle experts will consider as part of the Shifting World of Work content series. Visit Circal.co.uk to find out how you can get free access to Sercal's up-to-the-minute news, research, and opinion for you and your team today. Welcome back to the second part of the HR Futures podcast. Uh, With me today is Lara Claxton of Satalia. The first part of our conversation I thought was informative, insightful, uh, different. Well, we talked a lot about uh, UX, so user experience. We talked about design thinking, agile, iterative ways of doing HR. I'm now going to try and do a little bit where we we talk about some of the practicalities of using that approach, hopefully, um, and and some of the things that Lara has learned, because, again, we always learn when we look back and reflect. And then a bit about HR going forward, and and then a bit about, Lara's a person. So this is the second half of the HR Futures podcast. So, Lara, why don't you tell us about something you're really proud of. When you look back, you go, you know, there's a there was a problem I started with. Um, a, and this is what we did. And this is the outcome that was delivered. Because I love those narratives. You can't beat them, can you? Problem, intervention, outcome, result. Fantastic.
1: Yeah. So I think... um there are often lots of moments kind of throughout your career I think certainly for me it's not kind of necessarily one huge big thing um, that I see and sometimes it is elements where where you went out of your kind of comfort zone to um to try and solve a problem and that might have led you to working with different people or, or picking up kind of new skills along the way um, and certainly you know uh, if I think about it, what what's kind of my proudest achievement and stuff is probably more around the actual relationships I've built kind of over the years and what I've kind of learned through those relationships and how that's developed me as an individual, because I think there's always learning opportunities in all those kind of relationships that you have throughout your career. Um, but I think certainly in terms of um Joining Satalia kind of recently, um, you know, and having been in kind of one company for such a long time before that, coming into a new organization and, and kind of learning you know how they operate and how they work and stuff one of the things I was um, initially tasked with was looking at um, career development and how that might work in the organizational design that we have um, I still haven't solved that problem <laughs> but we're working on it um, but what was interesting kind of coming in was just I think I, I think when you start with a new organization but just in general you know listening is the 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 best skill that you can have is just going around and having conversations and just listening to what the narratives are that that you're hearing from people. And I think, you know, what what probably wasn't happening necessarily was because that we don't have managers in the organization is that whole people aspect of of a managerial role, if it's done well, um, that can really kind of benefit people. And so, you know, we looked at that and um, realized that what we really needed to develop was a kind of feedback and coaching culture Um, and I think through that it's been very much kind of the approach that I've talked about at kind of really understanding um you know how people are feeling in the organization um the kind of things that they might be missing from the organization because some of the things do look very different to, to um you know places that they've worked before and how do you kind of recreate um those aspects but but with a slightly different approach to how you might do that um and so actually you know initially last year we we had a lot of kind of open sessions for anyone in the company to come to and I basically did like one huge focus group with the whole company um to really identify where the challenges were for them and and what that might look like and it really kind of opened up the conversation as well um because i think there have been aspects of yeah
0: yeah. i I suppose i was thinking about what you were saying you know as always you stimulate my thoughts career (laughs) development in an organization which is very flat interesting in itself isn't it because yeah you're (laughs) not going to develop in a hierarchical way you're going to develop in terms of skills and capability
1: and value and
0: you know so it changes the language doesn't
1: it and changes the meaning yeah um an awful lot because we've been so sort of conditioned into these defined career paths and ladders that you know you climb, climb the ladder and till you get to kind of the place where where you want to be at and stuff um and that's very much a part of people's sort of expectations of what they think they need at work um But I suppose kind of within that, it's about understanding, you know, what are your kind of core motivations as individuals when you come to work is, is that ladder what motivates you? And I think actually for a lot of people, if they ask themselves, it probably isn't. It's probably about working with great people, um, having learning opportunities. So they continue to kind of upskill and grow. Uh, It's about being able to contribute your ideas. Um, And so all of these things They don't necessarily come with with climbing that ladder, I think certainly there is an element where you wanna be able to, well, certainly for me, kind of being able to have um, new challenges and have a role that kind of pushes me and challenges me is is really, really important. And sometimes that can come with a a level of responsibility that you might have in a role that's a a senior level that gives you those new challenges to kind of look at. Um, But I don't think it necessarily needs to have a hierarchical element to it um you know so the way that we work at the moment is very much in in teams I I don't manage anyone um but I can get involved in problems that I would feel challenge me and give me a way to kind of contribute and bring my expertise to that but likewise you know I would want to be working with people that have you know maybe new to their careers and and the working world to kind of understand their perspectives on what how they might solve that business problem because in my experience that's been really influential sometimes you know you can end up with blind spots once you're up that ladder <laughs> um and uh you know it, it it's hard to kind of see it from other kinds of perspectives so i think having uh that's where kind of diverse teams in terms of the backgrounds and stuff can be really really beneficial and that kind of stuff so so with career development I guess what we're uh, how I described it to Daniel uh, the other day was was kind of a, a landscape of opportunities of kind of having frameworks there but they're not defined in a hierarchical way so there's still opportunities to gain new skills to take on new areas of responsibility to perhaps broaden your knowledge in, you know, that kind of T-shaped thing. So either you you can go kind of deep and specialize in certain areas or kind of go broader and have a broader level of knowledge across an organization to understand different areas Um, and, and just kind of, you know, making it so career development has enough boundaries to guide you, but not so many that it restricts you, I guess. that's what we're aiming for, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> we're also um, doing coaching workshops at the moment with um, the brilliant Rob Baker, I don't know if you know him, oh, but um, yes, Rob Baker,
0: yeah, personalization, didn't he, exactly,
1: and, so, uh, uh,
0: job crafting,
1: yeah, which is a, 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 you know, has been really useful in having those conversations around career development, because job crafting, if, if you have less boundaries, you have more chance of job crafting, so that's been really useful, but, but looking at developing coaches, so although we don't have managers, we do have people that are responsible for strategy, for example, in certain areas, and we have people that are responsible for kind of execution or delivery on certain aspects. Um, and they're not managers in the traditional sense of they're going to tell you what to do and all the rest of it, but they're accountable for those kind of aspects. But what we didn't have was um, people that are responsible or or kind of, I guess, influence uh, that ability to bring out those people conversations. So I think fundamentally in an organization like Satalia, every individual is responsible and accountable for those people aspects, but they do need coaching, to help bring out what that looks like for them um, and to give them the confidence to kind of approach the challenges that they might be experiencing um, and to just help, I suppose, kind of guide that conversation and, and have someone that might not be in their direct periphery of who they work with, but just someone they can build a relationship with and uh, and get knowledge from. So, so yeah, that's the kind of direction we're going in. Um, but I think what's been, 's been nice as a as a kind of achievement and I suppose I'm thinking kind of more in in recent terms is just the kind of positive impact you see that you can have on an organization through having um, more of a, a human-centered design approach and understanding the emotions and the behaviors behind it because I think that's um the part that supports what Daniel's doing because that comes from a slightly more theoretical kind of place in in terms of how it's been designed and and thought about in terms of theoretically what does great look like (laughs) Uh, and now this is about kind of well how do we enable that to come alive um, through the people that are within that environment Um, but yeah, but I think, but if you just ask me off the cuff, kind of what's my proudest achievement, it would be the relationships I've built because they're the things I remember most.
0: Let's go the other side of that. Tell us about something when you look back on your career and you go, oh, I wouldn't do that that way now. <laughs> I'd I, I do, I do it slightly differently. It didn't quite work out. And, and now with experience and knowledge and whatever, I would do it a different way. You know, it's got to be something, obviously, you're, you're happy
1: to talk about, but... <laughs> I think um I mean in some ways you know that's what hindsight is for isn't it because you learn something out of that experience and in some ways if you take them away you maybe you never learn the lesson <laughs> so I'm all for kind of tripping over and making mistakes and stuff as long as you can use it as a learning opportunity and um, and actually that's where at FDM where I was uh, and I guess kind of where I really grew up career wise um was a great environment for that because it was quite entrepreneurial and people would say oh why don't you just go out and try it and if it didn't work out you know it wouldn't be the end of the world you'd face it together to figure out how you fix the problem (laughs) and stuff Um, but I suppose kind of the aspects and the things that have been really um influential on me it's probably kind of how to navigate around a kind of organization and things that I probably wished I'd listened a bit better or learned a bit faster or <laughs> um, figured it out uh, in a slightly better way and I, and I was lucky because I had a, a couple of people at FDM that were brilliant mentors and stuff and in, in director roles so they were really able to kind of influence me but also kind of you know be able to tell me as well when they f- Thought I could have approached something in a different way or approached it better and I suppose again kind of with my HR background a lot of you know like my proudest moments and my things that I learned from are probably all relationship based because I think technical knowledge and tasks and decisions that you might get wrong you know you learn from them and certainly for some of them you know right I'll never do that again (laughs) but um, sometimes it's kind of hard to know that until you've actually gone through the experience of it but I think from the relationship bit on, on the hindsight hindsight part. I think mm. probably in my earlier stages, um, I probably was a bit more um, frustrated about kind of thinking that I needed to do things a certain way that I'd been kind of taught, this is how it needed to look in HR. And sometimes it wasn't getting the results that, you know, I'd sort of read it should get for me. Um, and, you know, I think, um, that was kind of really what I learned and kind of, you know, through uh, FDM was that kind of how to influence people um, and how to kind of really understand it from a business perspective um, to get the right output of how HR should be delivering value. Um, And, you know, I think my approach to influencing before was kind of, well, you know, this is what I've been like taught how to do it and, and you're telling me no and <laughs> I don't understand it <laughs> um, coming from a point of frustration rather than actually really understanding well who are the people I'm trying to influence and what are they actually saying to me you know, and listening to what they're actually saying to me and then trying to kind of reevaluate how do I make what I'm trying to do valuable for them but that might mean going away from what I've kind of been taught to do or how to approach it and actually In doing that, I got better at influencing and I got a lot less frustrated, but I also probably moved a lot more away from that kind of HR toolkit. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Okay. I like that. Thanks for that, Laura. Uh, I suppose. What what does HR need to do in the future? We've talked a lot about it, really, but I suppose if you were trying to summarise it, you know, a nice quote, what would you be saying? What do we need to be? better at or do differently to have you know to make our organizations more successful but make them great places to work and and and, you know so people can thrive because that's what we're trying to do isn't it we're trying to do you know that thing about human beings and making it a a good place to work where there's meaning and belonging and all of that but at the same time we want our organizations to be successful because you know, they become self-generating, you know, we can invest in people, develop people, grow people. So, 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 so what is it? What is the, what's the, what's the lesson to HR if we were holding up a banner?
1: (laughs) Um, yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a, a great one isn't it and I think you know I'll probably give you an, a different answer on different days probably <laughs> depending on what I'm thinking but um but yeah I kind of think that um HR obviously a lot of the conversation in recent years has, about, has been about wanting a seat at the table to drive change from the top um and through not having being able to perhaps influence the leaders for from other directions and I guess my advice to HR would be to sort of stop worrying about having a seat at the table, but make sure you're kind of in the room where it happens um, and actually be involved in the organization and be involved when decisions are being made and not just kind of HR decisions, but, you know, going and setting up a project team with, with other people that are working on things, you know, not being siloed in however you've structured your HR function, but, actually kind of using the different expertise that you have to to go work on a project with others outside of HR um, and focus on solving a business problem, which should always come from a human centred aspect in terms of employees and customers and understanding what the impact is around that problem. But being there because of um, your contribution to that conversation that may well have an HR or a, a kind of human lens on it um but actually get, getting in there and having a conversation about a sales issue that might be going on or a marketing issue or whatever it might be um not defining yourself by that kind of those hr conversations and and just you know if you're in the room where it happens then you know what's going on in the organization and actually it can be far more influential than having a seat at the table where often you stop having visibility on what's going on
0: no very good okay thank you for that. Let's, um... Let's start to talk a bit about more about you just to sort of wrap up and one of the things that's really interesting is that you run a side project or hustle or I don't know what you want to call it or you're a, an organization outside of satalia um, I what do you call it got this yeah I got this got this and tell <laughs> us a bit about I can't, can't even say it has never a start. um <laughs> tell us a bit about what it is uh,
1: and why are you doing it, I suppose? Yeah, good question. <laughs> so yeah, I would, I would probably call it a, a side hustle for now, or a side, side experiment. <laughs> um, so Got this essentially, at the moment, it is a, uh, a space where students and graduates can share a kind of blog version of the dissertation or an essay they did um, uh, during the university days um, that maybe they were proud of that they'd like to kind of share on the platform and then others can come read and learn from that insight and share it through social media um, and it came about through you know i'm quite active on linkedin and twitter but i find a lot of my network tends to be kind of my peers um, uh, as well as, as well as other individuals but i write a post um which was about interesting enough quite a few years ago now but um about self-organized uh companies and a uh, master's graduate replied to my post and said oh i've written my dissertation about something on a similar subject if you ever fancy reading it um and i did and learned so much from it and it was obviously full of academic references unlike some of the blog content you can see out there <laughs> might be picking up a new subject and running with it without too much um rigor should we say <laughs> um but actually a, a dissertation you know kind of um we're kind of showed the sort of critical thinking around it, the different perspectives on the subject, kind of referenced um, academic, academic research that I could kind of go look at if I was interested. And I was like, oh, you know, I wish I had more of this influencing my network and the kind of things that I was reading and learning from. Um, and I think, you know, I've already referenced earlier, you know, for me, it's was really important that you get graduates or people at earlier stages in their careers getting involved in solving business problems as well because they'll often see things that your blind spots don't allow you to see when you get higher up in an organisation. But essentially what what we want to aim to try and do is to uh, close the relationship gap that graduates experience as they transition from university to the workplace. So often, you know, it's a, it can be a good few years of being in a company before they get to contribute any ideas or feel like they're making any difference, which has a huge impact on graduate retention because then they just end up leaving because they get bored and, and able, they weren't able to do anything interesting and appreciate people if people are starting out starting out there's going to be a certain level of their work that's probably going to be a bit administrative and a bit you know sort of basic task based but having the opportunity to balance that with with, you know building relationships across an organization and being able to contribute ideas to solving problems um, you know should be how organizations are working and so you know what we aim to do is create those kind of multi-directional learning opportunities through what graduates are, um, uh, uh, are studying and learning about um, and create those better connections to build um, better recruitment and, and retention sort of ways of working or to solve those kind of two two areas that, that are problems um, quite often and I think the other thing that's interesting for me too is that you know students will pick a dissertation subject that they're passionate about and you know when i used to interview graduates i'd always ask them you know what what was your dissertation about and why did you pick that subject and it would always tell me a really really interesting story rather than me asking what are your you know key strengths or or some of the kind of generic interview question that didn't really get to the root of kind of who they are and what kind of things they're passionate about and interested in. Um, so, yeah, so it's still kind of early days. Um, but, you know, this, that's really interesting for me as well, because it brings up back in all the UX stuff into it. So, doing lots of user research to try and see how we build this product into something that hopefully people eventually love.
0: does it eventually become a business does it get monetized is there a is there a business are you an entrepreneur at heart do
1: you think so I think so so yeah there's a whole kind of um, roadmap on on kind of what we want to do around that and obviously that could nudge along the journey depending on on the research and and the sort of user insight that we get along the way Um, so we're sort of starting simple and building it out but with sort of strong vision in mind of where we'd like to get to but you know what that looks like could adapt and change along the way but I think the space for me um I like doing challenging work so if you if you asked me a few years ago do you want to be an entrepreneur I'd have probably said well no not particularly (laughs) so I don't have a burning desire necessarily to do that but I guess I have a burning desire always to be challenged and do really interesting work, and and to feel like I'm making a positive difference in what I do. And I love all I love the fact that I've learned so many other skills outside of HR um, in in enabling me to do this. So whatever the outcome comes from it, and it could be a, a huge fail or <laughs> or a huge win, who knows? But it, it's kind of the journey of it that I'm really enjoying in terms That's of the
0: point, it? You know, you, that you challenge. Know. Um, yeah, you're, you're, you're learning, you're trying stuff. Yeah, you know, I, I think that's the point. You know, I I it's it's interesting, isn't it? It's about what motivates you, and I think what comes across is someone that's very curious, someone mm-hmm. that wants to keep learning and pushing themselves and trying different things and trying to make the world a better place. And if you can do that and create a business that people value and want to, you know give their revenue to or money to them then why not but if it if it doesn't turn into that it doesn't really matter does it you know it's a great
1: experience no, that. exactly that i think it's um to be honest i've probably always been a bit of a a risk taker you know when i was 18 i got a one-way ticket to hungary and nine months later was in ivory coast having traveled mostly overland and you know got lost in jungles and god knows what else kind of all over the, the world and stuff and so i you know if If every day looks the same for me, I kind of get bored. And so, you know, obviously I certainly can't travel in the pandemic, but having kids, I don't get the same opportunities to to travel in the way I did before. So I guess exploring in the business world and traveling off in different directions is is where I'm able to kind of still take up risks and see what opportunities they bring.
0: So final question, and this is always the final question. Just tell us a bit about The whole person. So we've learned a lot about what your passions are and what you're interested in and what you've been doing in your your work life. But tell us what you do outside of work. Clearly, you've got children, so you've mentioned them a couple of times. But I don't know. You've talked about travel, uh, music, books, literature, uh, sport. The, I don't know you know I mean the, the, the world is our oyster there's so much to experience I'm I'm always interested in just asking people that I'm I'm talking primarily about a business conversation but I'm just going well just tell me about you just tell me about what else is interesting for you you know what else you focus on in your life
1: yeah so um. so yeah I do have two kids I've got a 16 year old daughter and a, a nine year old boy um, and so I think I've got a lot of the stuff the the that we do is is about kind of being able to have experiences um it's what i love in life is is being able to kind of go out there and and take up new experiences so travel is is still a big thing for us as a, a family we before lockdown the last place we went to is we went out to Colombia um yeah and i uh, got to travel around went out with a friend of mine who is Colombian so we went to her village And then kind of traveled up to the north of Colombia to Cartagena and went to some of the nearby jungles as well. So it was an amazing experience. And um, I think it's great for children to get those kind of experiences at that kind of age and understand that not all environments that we live in look the (laughs) same and stuff and Mm. for them to kind of learn from that. Um, my kids are actually half Gambian so we often go out to, to Gambian and um, their, their dad's village is, is mud hut, huts in the middle of nowhere and stuff with no electricity. So so yeah kind of enabling them to grow up with these kind of learning experience I think is kind of invaluable. Well
0: let, let's bring our podcast to an end. It's been, uh, it's been a pleasure. Uh, it's been as I said earlier on I think it's been incredibly informative. I think it's been a good conversation i'm sure many of our listeners will really enjoy it i hope people reach out to you because uh, they're going Definitely. quite often that happens thank you for spending the time with us we really do appreciate it and have the, a great rest of your day
1: thank you so much kevin really appreciate the opportunity